The Echo Chamber, brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Sponsored by The Bullet Group, putting you in tomorrow's conversations today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Echo Chamber podcast. This is Arun Suvarman, and I'm joined on the line by Paul Holmes, who has written a very interesting story about the challenges companies are facing when it comes to dealing with China. Uh, Paul, first of all, how are you? I'm good, thanks. And thanks for having me back on the podcast. Always a pleasure. Um, now, let's rewind a little bit. The last time we did this podcast, we were discussing the business roundtables, bright and shiny new statement where they said that going forward, business will be about everyone's concerns rather than just focusing on shareholders. Um, now, fast forward to this week where we saw Apple, we saw the NBA, and we saw Blizzard, all to varying degrees, make the decision that they would rather not stick up for their values when dealing with the China government. Is that business roundtable statement already over? Um, yeah, maybe it's a case of uh, no plan survives first contact with the enemy. Um, but um, I do think there is a very definite double standard um, in terms of how um, how organizations are prepared to take um, political social positions in the US and um, how they're prepared to do so in international markets. And of course, China is also a good example of that. First, because it's such a huge market. And second, because it has demonstrated um, not just this week, but in the past, um, that it is willing to um, punish companies that express dissenting views um, in a way that um, democratic governments simply can't do. Uh, and so we're seeing um, we're seeing companies that are quite happy to speak out on issues in America. Um, not only fall silent in China, but in many cases um, parrot the Chinese government line and, and become instruments of propaganda for China um, themselves. Is it as simple as saying that these companies basically have to choose between their authenticity, their brand, or their earnings guidance and share price? Um, it's... It's probably a little simplistic, but um, but but also, you know, uh, Occam's razor. <laughs> the, the most obvious explanation for the behaviour is um, is is the most straightforward. And yeah, I mean that that's what's happening, right? I mean, I, not not to make it about um, corporations only. So this is an example uh, that's non-corporate, but that shows China's power. You have somebody like LeBron James, um, who has been fairly outspoken on civil rights and human rights in the United States. Um, essentially, 
um, tweeting out as if he were an agent of the Chinese government to criticize uh, an MBA executive who had the temerity to suggest that we should be on the side of democracy. Um, you know, I, I found that I found that extraordinary, um, and um, I found his accusation of um, ignorance being the the motivation for that tweet um, to demonstrate a massive ignorance of the issues that are at stake here, which are much bigger than LeBron James endorsement deal. Yeah, I, I totally agree, and it. I, I'm a little, I'm a little wary about criticizing the, the players and the individuals too much, though, for a couple of reasons. One is, um, I think they have actually, uh, with some of their statements and so on over the last few years, you know, they they have actually stepped up to a degree that most athletes haven't in the past, um, and so you know, I think that should be applauded, regardless of, of how they treat this particular situation in Hong Kong. Um, you know, it's still commonplace for athletes and, and public figures to sort of shy away from any kind of controversy. And I can remember a time when you would never have athletes, you know, Michael Jordan to be forced to say something um, when people were, uh, were were being shot for his trainers, I think, if I recall correctly. Uh, yeah, but I, I, think, I think the point here, because the same, the same point can be made about corporations. I mean, 10 years ago, years ago in the US, corporations wouldn't take stands on issues that didn't directly affect their business. So um, LGBTQ rights, for example, is not something that a company would have um, would have struck out, uh, would have, would have uh, spoken out about 20 years ago. Um, you know, you, you remember, uh, um, you know, John Brown at, at BP um, didn't feel enough to speak out on that issue until um, until after he stepped down from the company um, and, and so you know that once you once you start to show that you have a conscience once you start to show um, that you know you care about these issues then the gap between doing that when there is very little downside and doing it when you could be victimized for it um, just becomes noticeable. So yes, it's admirable. It's admirable that you're doing it at all. But if you were if you were doing it in a way that was sincere, and I'm talking more about corporations now than I am about individuals. But if you're doing it in a way that is sincere and meaningful, um, then it has to be consistent. You can't you can't have values in America and no values in China, um, because we're li we're living in a global environment, um, and so you know the 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 gap between those two things becomes more striking um, than it ever has been. Yeah, uh, we'll come back to that in a second. The other reason why I'm a bit wary about criticizing the players is because you're just seeing this kind of outpouring now of kind of Republican right-wing types all attacking, I mean, frankly, attacking African-American NBA players for pretending to be woke. Um, so that has, you know, turned into something of a bandwagon for, um, you know, the kind of people who were already uh, quite happy to 
to criticize prominent African Americans. Um, so, and, and that, that is kind of an unpleasant, I suppose, byproduct of of this situation. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe I'm maybe I'm being more harsh um, than than you are on this. If you don't really know that, don't don't load the gun and hand it to somebody who you know hates you. Um, you know, it, it, I, I I think it, I I. I so I don't disagree with you. I mean, I, 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 I thought, you know, Trump's tweet about Steve Kerr and Greg Popovich, um, all the, all the attacks on, um, all the attacks on uh, uh, LeBron um, that, that have come from the right um, are actually angled completely differently um, than what we're, because what we're saying is if you're going to be woke, be woke everywhere. And what they're saying is, stop being woke yeah um, shut up and dribble right right yes exactly yeah no it's fair and look i'm very disappointed with lebron james um as someone living here in hong kong he has the the opportunity to uh to i think call out injustice um in a way that would be completely in keeping with everything he has said and done uh during his time in the spotlight um, and the same goes for Steve Kerr and, and Greg Popovich. And it does look like the only reason they're not doing so, uh, and it's the same for the for corporations, is because it poses a threat um, to their earnings, to their money, to their profits. Um, the the and, idea. And he, sorry. You, yeah. Sorry. And I, and to to just sort of focus on that last point as well. You you've made this point before. Um, and and I think it's it's essentially a valid point that if you're only social responsible if you're only socially responsible when it doesn't cost you anything then you're not socially responsible I mean you just that's the, the you know the the definition of social responsibility as a to cynically manipulating public opinion has to be that you're prepared to pay a price for it, the way that you know a dick sporting good, goods did, or you know, there there are plenty of examples. That's real social responsibility, is doing it when you know it comes with a choice, with with a, with a cost. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah, I have made that point before. I think other, otherwise, it's just viewed as, you know, marketing, um, or spin. <laughs> Come on, admit it. You were going to say it's just PR. No, I would. I wasn't going to say that actually. <laughs> okay, I've learned. I've learned too well by now. <laughs> but this is. I mean, this is what people mean when they use that phrase, and you know that I yeah. phrase. But this is precisely what people mean: is you know, doing it when it's easy, doing it in a way that is that that is inauthentic, doing it in a way that's um, you know. A, a, an easy way, virtue signaling, uh, and you know that's just not enough anymore. And and you know this, I, I actually thought we. I'm going to switch the topic a little. Well, a little. Um, I actually thought that that we had gotten past this notion that you could have one standard of behaviour in your domestic market and another standard of behaviour everywhere else. In other words, that. You know, and this, I mean, this started, I think, with the whole issue of corruption and bribery. 
And if you go back 25 years, it, it was pretty well accepted that while you didn't bribe government officials in the US and the UK because there'd be a huge backlash, if you want to bribe government officials in Nigeria, um, Indonesia, or one of those sort of um, developing markets where perhaps the standards of governance were not as strict, um, that was fine. That was just, you know, everybody did it and, and, you know, that was just the cost of doing business in those markets. Um, and then it evolved to environmental issues. So it used to be that as long as you weren't polluting any, any rivers in the States or Western Europe, um, it didn't really matter what you did in you know, Latin America and Asia. And so you got, you know, deforestation in those markets by large companies that went more or less unremarked and unreported for years. Um, whether it was, you know, destroying nat natural habitats by Asia pulp and paper, or, you know, oil, oil companies exploiting the environment um, in Latin America, um, you basically, um, basically got to do what you wanted in those markets. And then as, as um, you know, the global internet uh, became a thing, um, that, was, that was more and more difficult because people would hear about it and they would know that your claims to be environmentally responsible were specious or at the very, at the very least sort of limited to um, markets where people care about those things. And, um, and so where they had the power to translate caring about those things into economic punishment. Um, and I think, you know, you've seen this sort of slow um, development of the highest standards for corporate behavior becoming global standards for corporate behavior. And China has either brought that to a screeching halt or in, in some cases reversed it. Um, and, you know, the point that has been made by a number of, a, a number of sort of columnists um, in the mainstream media, which is we thought that American companies going to China would liberalize China. Yeah, and, and, and technology. Fact, yes, mm. yeah. yeah. Um, what has in fact happened is that it's made Western companies more illiberal yeah. is a very valid point and it, it should worry you. Yeah. And just, just going back to your point on the, the kind of moral relativism that colors these kinds of actions, right? That, you know, we'll behave one way in the US and another way in Asia. Um, you know, you still come across that, I think, even though it's less acceptable now to, to, to at least, you know, say that you're going to behave that way. You still see it. I mean, we've seen it here. Um, you still see it in environmental practices. Um, I still, I was at a conference the other day when someone said, "Oh, we shouldn't, we shouldn't frame these these conversations in terms of of, of Western liberalism." Um, and you know, as I mean, as an Asian myself, I just find it it's kind of pernicious. It's it's condescending almost. It's almost like you're saying, "Well, Asians don't really deserve I mean, the, the, the best behavior from companies." Right. But well, all the research that I've seen, including some very interesting research that was presented at your Into Summit in Singapore um, a month or so 
world suggests that, um, in fact, the, the expectations in Asian markets now are in line with those in the US and Western Europe, that social responsibility is just as important um, as a signifier to, to, to those con consumers um, as to American consumers. And, and in fact, you know, the, the proximity of some of this activity suggests to me that they may be more likely to connect their feelings with real action um, the Western consumers who frankly, you know, um, are on, on, on issues pertaining to the emerging world can afford to turn away. Yeah. Yeah. So it is, it is that kind of, yeah, moral relativism. I, I do find, you know, condescending, but, but still a, a common viewpoint you come across, um, particularly I think amongst kind of, uh, you know MNCs that are that have been out in these markets for for many years. Um, how do you so coming back to this this question of of purpose versus profit? Um, now you'd argue that that is a a fallacy, right? The the two should not be at odds. How do you persuade a CEO that his principles are not his or her principles, the company's principles, are not going to cost them in the long run? Right. So th those those last four words are key here, right? So I think I mean I'd like to think that nearly everybody in our business believes that. Well, so th it's a maybe it's a two-step process, and I may come up with a third as I'm thinking about it. But but basically the process is um, you you accept two things to be true. One, that your long-term relationship with your consumers, your employees, your communities is an asset, that having a good relationship with those people um, will have long benefit. Um, it'll make them loyal, it'll make, and we, we don't have to go through the whole litany of things that it does, but, but that, you know, it's better to have a good relationship than a bad relationship. It's better to have a good re reputation than a bad reputation. And secondly, you have to accept that um, to one extent or another, um, acting with principles and values and ethics um, is going to give you a better reputation or better relationships than demonstrating that you have none of those things. Um, and so, I think we all believe, and we've seen over the years plenty of evidence that um, in the long term, that's true. Um, in the short term, however, it is not always true. And one of the things that was at the heart of the Business Roundtable um, article and in the history, basically, of this stuff is how how we expect CEOs and boards of directors to balance the short-term negative impact of some of this activity with the long-term benefit. And I think China may be, and, and this brings me back to a point I made earlier, I think China may be unique in this regard, in that the short-term cost of 
annoying the Chinese government. Um, first of all, maybe deeper than the, than than almost anything else right now. Um, you know, it, it's a market that presents a huge opportunity, and nobody wants to miss out. And secondly, may not may not be just a short term disadvantage. Um, in other words, you know, if you if you miss out on China now, maybe in twenty years it'll be too late, and so. Um, you know, the, the, the short term may also have long term implications for your ability to do business in China. Um, and and second, um, and, and secondly, the the cost of kowtowing to the, the Chinese government, I'm a little uncomfortable with that phrase. Um, sorry, but, you know, the, 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 the cost of caving in to the Chinese government. Um, may not be that high in um you know first of all the number of people in america and i hate to break this to you as a hong kong resident, who are um you know sort of passionately engaged with the struggle for democracy in hong kong um is relatively low um, and um and their willingness to sacrifice in order to make a political point about the struggles in, in Hong Kong um, is best unproven. Um, and so this may be a case in which, you know, the, the, the traditional equation of there will be a long-term payoff for me making some short-term sacrifice um, may, not, may not be as obvious or um, or, or, or even as real as, yeah. it norm as it normally is. Yeah, but I mean, you, sorry, go that's on. That's what makes it a test, right? That's mm. what makes it a challenge. Mm. Yeah, and you say consumers will take a dim view, may take a dim view, but will they take a dim view of companies that abandon their principles um, in the face of the Chinese government? I mean, will Apple sell less products? You know, is there a cost? Um, that is really going to worry them. Um, I think with a company like Apple, um, you know, this this stuff is cumulative, right? So, you know, there's Apple has a number of reputational challenges around the world. It has um, it, it certainly has the. Um, the sweatshop issue that it's been dealing with. It has, um, you know, issues um, pertaining to sort of the free press in the United States and the willing, I mean, it's had a willingness in the past to very aggressively go after journalists who broke stories it didn't want broken at a particular time. Um, you know, and all of those, all of those problems have been, um, ha have been, sort of swept aside by the sheer power of Apple's um, you know, product quality and, uh, and, 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 and marketing acumen. And um, now, you know, I, I, I would suggest that those things ought to give Apple a freedom, um, you know, and under Tim Cook, I think this to a certain extent, a freedom to be a little more outspoken, a little more um socially conscious 
Um, but um, but it also perhaps give you gives you the ability to say we don't give a damn about that stuff. We're just going to continue to make good products. And if you don't like us, at least you'll like our latest iPhone. I, I also think that you know Apple is a is a is an unusually extreme example. And the thing the, the, the thing with this is you can never tell you can never tell what the breaking point is going to be until you right so you can go on um sort of testing the boundaries of people's patience with your irresponsibility and you you can never quite predict which which act of irresponsibility um is going to tip people over the edge um and um uh, you know, but but is it likely to be China? Not right now. But is it possible that in three years this will become um, a flashpoint? Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, certainly Blizzard appears to be facing more blowback from its decision to ban the Hong Kong gamer, um, and they've had to kind of. I think they reinstated his prize money, reduced the ban because they they saw that they were facing a boycott very quickly. You know, one of the interesting things about this is gamers and sports fans, two of the most kind of vocal audiences on social media, not necessarily communities you want to get on the wrong side of. Um, yeah, the, better, the, Blizzard and, was, the Blizzard case was actually the more interesting one to me, though it didn't get quite as much attention as the NBA. Um, because Blizzard really was... I mean, acting as an agent of the Chinese government, right? It was essentially, it, it, it essentially sort of banged one of its users. Um, but, you know, was that you said the temerity to himself have an opinion, right? It wasn't like Blizzard was saying we're neutral on this. It was Blizzard very clearly wading in on one side, and. Uh, and and I thought it's very interesting. I mean, first of all, you know, this is the the demographic that that Blizzard needs to care about in terms of the international community is first of all much younger, right? I know video games are for everybody. Um, the reality is that the people who are you know doing uh, you know fast twitching Blizzard games. Um, globally uh, tend to be younger uh, and they also tend to have um, a highly developed sense of justice for their own right whoever those people may be um, now that's had some negative side effects in the past because their own tends to be a group that doesn't include for example women um, and so We've had issues like Gamersgate, but when one of their own is is attacked, um, they will rally very quickly, um, and and so you know, that for Blizzard it was <laughs> no pun intended. It was almost a perfect storm. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, literally. Um, uh, you know that um, that that they were caught in the crossfire of two two graphics the Chinese government and their their users consumers um, 
both of whom were highly prepared to punish the company for perceived bad actions. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that um, that's true of everybody, but I do think that that demographic of young people is going to be much more mainstream five years from now, ten years from now. And at that point, you know, how, how companies... There are lots of issues that we didn't care about 10 years ago that we care about today. And there are lots of issues that we don't particularly care about or aren't prepared to punish companies for today that we will care about in 10 years. Uh, and companies need to think about that at the very least. Will that, will that change the way they think about China in the next 12 months, 24 months? five years, maybe not, but it is something that public relations people in particular need to be thinking about and need to be bringing to the attention of management. Yeah, and meanwhile, the NBA issue I thought was an interesting one, and maybe we'll never know now because the NBA, I think, um, you know, despite Adam Silver's subsequent statements, I think the NBA made it pretty clear they're not going to do anything that, that will... Um, destabilize the what is now an enormous amount of money they make from China um, I think there's there's talk that, that the the salary cap will actually go down because of the fact that so many Chinese companies have now cut ties with the NBA uh, assuming those companies don't come back but the interesting thing there I think is look we, you know one of the things we're often told Chinese people mainland China love their government they love the NBA as well and that would have created a very, very interesting situation if the NBA had gone off air um, or does go off air in China. And, I, you know, that is the kind of power that the league does wield. But, um, you know, it doesn't yeah, seem I to mean, be. That is, yeah, that is the other thing to, to, to consider. Um, you know, I do think it's, it's widely assumed that um, the Chinese people um, are willing to back the Chinese government. And so, you know, you, you will see tweets and you will see um, tweets and, um, you know, comment threads and whatever with ordinary Chinese citizens, um, you know, assailing companies for acknowledging the existence of Taiwan, for example, um, or, um, you know, or, 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 you know, ordinary Chinese citizens criticizing um, tweets like the one that um, that we saw from the NBA. Um, but, but how, you know, how wide and how deep that the passion is among the Chinese government. And frankly, you know, given what we've seen in terms of, you know, sock, sock puppetry and um, fake um, and, and fake sort of um, Twitter bots over the last few years, whether in fact those are even real people or not, has to be a question. And, um, you know, I, I do think it would have been interesting to see how this would have played out um, if the Chinese government, if, if the Chinese people had in fact been denied access to the NBA over a long period of time. Um, would would the Chinese government have be would everybody have fallen into lockstep with the government and said we're quite happy to give up the NBA um, in order to make a point about a uh, you know a guy in Houston tweeting something about Hong Kong or would they have in fact said 
um you know we want our we want our basketball back please um and and you know at some point that thesis is going to be tested that the, the the chinese people are not quite um as um demanding as the chinese government when it comes to this kind of um this kind of um but you know not yet but then the nba would have been a wonderful test case because as you say there are lots of people in china who are passionate about the nba mm, very much so um, but it's like you said everything is upside down you know instead of being able to call on these kind of progressive uh athletes to support hong kong we have ted cruz uh, yes. standing, standing up against police brutality i mean it, you know you, it's really hard it's you can't make it up almost um this is a week lest we forget this is a week in which john bolton was shown to be one of the more safe members of the trump administration um the the world the world is a constantly surprising place but you know if if i would i i wish that ted cruz would spend more time talking about you know the american police shooting people homes because their front door is open um and talking about police brutality in hong kong or at least that he would speak about both the same way um but you know on on, on the hong kong issue at least he's right um and, you know i it, that's fine um yeah he is but it's uh, he's an he's an uneasy an uncomfortable bedfellow for us i feel yes well, uh, it seems like we have these weird supporters now and um we have yeah, many I, I, I think you have to you have to wonder about the motivations i'm not i'm not sure in the broader scheme of things um there are many people who can count on ted cruz as an ally <laughs> but um, yeah. uh, but, but on this issue you know I, I i i don't particularly care about his motivation he's right yeah um, but all of this speaks to the i guess you know we talk about the kind of the rise of, of let's say accountable capitalism um, and who it's accountable to the the need for you know business to reset in the face of changing expectations and the rise of populism political turbulence and, and activism and all of this of course these are all going to be kind of the core and key issues that we discuss next week um at provoke 19 in washington dc um a few words perhaps from you on on kind of some of the discussions and, and themes that you're looking forward to yeah um look, i think i think the thing that i'm looking forward to the most is um having the, the young people from uh march for our lives um including um you know a couple of the the young people um from from the parkland uh sort of shooting and and um and others um talking about what they've done in the last two years um because you know i do think you have this generation of young people um whether it's um the survivors of gun violence whether it's greta thunberg and the people who um you know like her um are making the point that that the future that we're ruining uh, with climate change is their future or whether it's the the leaders of the protests in hong kong or 
many of whom are, are relatively young. Um, you have this generation that is really prepared to put it not just its money where its mouth is, but you know it, its personal safety and um, its time and its energy where its mouth is in order to affect positive change in the world. And I'm really looking forward to talking with those those young people about how they have built a movement. Um, how they have changed the tone of a debate um, with, with, you know, sort of no real expertise. I mean, they're not public relations people, but they more effectively um, changed um, an issue that, that, you know, has been more or less unchanged for as long as I can remember. Um, you know, and, and, and how they've done that. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, I'm looking forward to having Doug Rushkoff back because I think he is um, one of the most interesting thinkers out there. Um, and, um, you know, I, I, I think it's very important to bring in people um, who are not necessarily of our business. Um, to, to sort of give us the, the broader sort of social science, um, sort of intellectual thinking um, that we don't necessarily get. And I'm also, I'm also just intrigued by the title of that presentation, which is um, Team Public Relations, Pro-Human or Not So Much. I have no idea what to expect um, from that, but it's intriguing. Um, and you know, I think I think we're also gonna gonna have a lot of stuff that, as you say, focuses on purpose and being able to tell when it's real and when it's fake, when it's authentic and when it's not. Uh, I think we're gonna have a lot of stuff on technology and the various ethical and um, and and also sort of professional development challenges that that poses to our industry. Um, as usual, you know, our, our partners have come up with a wide variety of content that I think is going to be very interesting indeed. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to the whole thing. And as I always say at this point, I'm also looking forward to it being over. It's a mammoth <laughs> undertaking. <laughs> it's a mammoth undertaking yeah. for an eight-person organization. And yeah. uh, uh, it's always nice to get through it, um, you know, unscathed. So Yeah. You don't have to tell me, and as I always tell you around this time this year, um, we appear to have grown again. So I think we're now, well, there's certainly 11 names on the masthead. I'm not entirely sure where they all are or who they all are, but um, yeah, the empire, the empire expands. Um, so I will see you in, uh, in DC. And um, of course, everyone can follow all of our Provoke 19 coverage. Um, on all of our social media channels, we will again um, be uh, developing and distributing a huge amount of content in the form of articles, pictures, videos um, on all our channels, including our website. Um, so you can follow it, you can uh, feedback, you can comment, you can complain, uh, get involved. Um, and we'll be back with another podcast soon. Thank you very much, Paul. Thank you. You've been listening to The Echo Chamber. 
brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by Marketeers. Sponsored by The Bullet Group, putting you in tomorrow's conversations today.